Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo. That always needs challenging. But you guys might remember at the very beginning of this channel, our biggest mission was to teach on topics and to unite the divided body, which is why it's still our tagline, because that's still our heart. Um, so today I'm having a special guest on that reached out to the Church Split, because we have told you guys before, if you have a story of your Church Split, of something that happened in your church like that, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you on because that is still where our heart is, even though we're theology geeks, okay? So, but before we do that, of course, like and subscribe to the channel and a uh, new challenge I'd like to issue out, share this and text this episode to at least one of your friends. Um, according to the uh, data, it shows that actually people tend to share over texts more than anything else. So go ahead and do that. And of course, leave us a five-star review um, on Apple Podcasts. And I always request, if you're gonna leave me a one-star, at least roast me. But you can't roast my guest because my, my guest today is actually a really nice guy, really cool. He's been super flexible. So I want to be, uh, I just want to do it, issue a special thank you to him for that. But today we have a friend of mine named Barry Peters joining us today. Um, and Barry, you have some crazy stories to share, some insights and some things about yourself on, on what happened to you in a church split. So first off, welcome to the channel. How you doing, Barry? Thanks. I'm doing great. Good to be here. Awesome. I'm really excited to have you here, um, especially with uh, what we've discussed already previously. And I like the fact that we already have some chemistry. Now, real quick, for those who do not know, because they might notice that you and I talk a little bit differently, where are you located? I am close to Edmonton, Alberta in Canada, so quite far north and in quite a not near as population dense as, as many of many of you. All right. That's, yeah. So you're a Canadian. And so this is evidence that Canadians and Americans can still be brothers in Christ. That's right. 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 Okay. Even great. though you think that you're better than us, we'll, we'll still accept that. But we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is off to a good start. Um, my, and just my, just to, go ahead. Just to uh, keep the stereotype going well, that uh, we like ride polar bears and stuff here in Canada. We had an extreme cold warning uh, yesterday. The wind chill was minus 40 Celsius or like minus 47 Celsius, oh, something like that. So so if you have that stereotype that we live in igloos, we basically did the last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's horrible. I am so glad I don't live in Canada. I was complaining about the snow we got dumped on here, but wow, yeah, you guys probably do ride, ride polar bears. What's what, what's your polar bear's name? Uh, Willie is his name. Oh, oh, Willie, good name, good name. Very, very I, I know, I know a, a guy named kind of like Will or Willie. Yeah, I think he's cool. Um, but <laughs> all right, I'm done. All right, I should have said Nathan jokes. Rager. Oh, you should have. Like a very, it's a very angry bear. <laughs> a very, very, very angry bear. <laughs> All right. Well, Barry, um, you reached out to us because you had a story on and a little bit of just like wanted to talk about what kind of what, what you grew up in, a little bit of what you experienced with a, with a church division. So I was just wondering, could you tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about your history? Um, tell us about you, and then we'll we'll go ahead and start talking about the what happened at with the churches okay sounds good and those of you watching i made notes so if i'm looking down just forgive me um 
I had no idea growing up what the church was like everywhere else. I had no idea there was an independent fundamental Baptist movement in the States. I actually didn't know any of that till a few years ago. However, I grew up very close to fundamental Baptist, but it was a mix between this missionary movement sort of Baptist world and, and the Anabaptist world. You only have to go back a couple generations in my family to where women were wearing head covers and polka dotted dresses. And my, my dad had a second cousin who lived on a Mennonite colony in Mexico. And they, uh, they only drove tractors with wire or with metal wheels because rubber tires was too worldly. So they, they had the wow. same sort of rules and legalism that, that, uh, fundamental Baptists can have. And so even though they were two different cultures, they did fit well together. Um, so similar to most of your, your viewers will like, we were pre-mill pre-trib, we were young earth, we were Christian and classical music only, no alcohol, cigarettes, dancing, dating, all of that stuff. Um, I remember going home from church and our family talked about which women were wearing dress pants instead of dresses or if a dress was too short or things, things like that. And, and so when I discovered your channel, it, I, I, I did immediately feel a kinship because I, I felt like, yeah, I know what you guys have come out of. I know what you, what you've, what you've gone through. And actually just in the last couple months, I made the connection that I had an aunt that got her teaching degree from Pensacola probably oh, in the 70s or the 80s and and then she has worked in fundamental schools since then and she just recently retired and her last posting was in uh, a fundamental school in northern ontario and she found mm -hmm. that job because they taught that pensacola curriculum so I, i'm realizing so like there were closer ties right yeah yeah she taught in Tanzania for a while at a school that taught that whole curriculum. So there, there's definitely a connection down there, even though I didn't know about it. So I went to uh, all across Western Canada, like Western Canada is known as the Bible Belt of Canada. Just tons of churches, tons of evangelicalism, tons of little Bible schools, just like the fundamental Baptists have that were pre preparing people for ministry. And uh, I went to one called Miller College of the Bible, and William J. Miller had been had been brought to the Lord by uh, who's the guy? Who's the Bible school? I didn't write this down. Will it was oh. one of your Bibles? Moody, Moody. He there Moody led go. him to the Lord, <laughs> and and so there's there's all these connections, and and what I what I want to say in a positive way is that every one of the institutions that I was involved with growing up, like my church, my family, and this Bible school, they have all made really good moves to not stay legalistic and not stay um, fundamental. Like when, when I went to Miller Bible College, we still had quite a few rules. And I was thinking back to, to when they used to do a preaching tour and all the guys on the preaching tour had to shave every single day. And it was just nuts. They were like all covered in pimples and, and razor burn and stuff. But that was because you had to, 
Oh that yeah, was one I remember of the rules, those days. Eh? My my neck was always just inflamed and angry because that's what they would, required at my school too. And I clearly it did not stick since I brought back the Viking <laughs> beard. So uh, I, I relate with so much of that because I was when you were like, yeah, that just everything is when you even mentioned like the rubber on the wheels, like that's worldly. That just it emphasizes what I've said so many times. It, oh, what is worldly only depends on where you draw the line. If we're saying things like that, because really what is worldly according to God's standard is just simply the sinful nature of the world, as opposed to arbitrary objects and things and lights or light colors and clothing styles, what, what have you, you get it, you know, so sorry, did not mean to interrupt. Go ahead and keep going. Yeah. Well, it, it's all good. And so my son, uh, my oldest son just, is in his first year at the same Bible school. And it is so encouraging to me to see the difference that has happened in the, in the 20 years since my wife and I went. And uh, like, there's, there's hardly any dress code at, at all. There, there's, and they're really focused on the Lord. So that, that is great. And I even talk about, my mom was very, what, what was brought up very fundamental, but I got into Christian death metal in in high school and, and she saw that it wasn't pulling me away from the Lord, so she she let me she 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 didn't keep me from that sort of things. And so I am I am very thankful for for all of that. Okay, gotta ask. So straight out of, go ahead. A band. What? Just name me a band that you that you listen to. Uh, Vengeance Rising. Ah, oh, good lad. Sorry, I'm a metalhead myself. Yeah. So just it's it's yeah, way back in the day. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, keep going. Yeah. So go go into my adult life, and uh, my wife and I started working uh, full time at a summer Bible camp. Again, there there are summer kids camps dotted all the way across the prairies of of Canada that were were started in like the 40s and the 50s from all the graduates of these missionary Baptist Bible schools and very focused on um, evangelism in our community. Like we're in a, the biggest city close to us is like 25,000 people. And um, our camp has 800 campers a summer. So there's lots going on. And so we moved there very driven uh i re-listened to a couple interviews of yours today um your brother-in-law drew oh, and then yeah. the spurgeon like, the spurgeon guy yeah yep, that was yep, quite yep. a while ago yeah but that was like my spurgeon very first guy. oh yeah 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 he, oh he's a good dude i like him yeah and like i was the same way when i entered ministry just like them very driven um I judged people by how much they were willing to volunteer or give or, or, or how much they were dedicated to actual evangelism or discipleship. And we just, we just poured ourselves into that. But about four years, five years in, I, I started to burn out and I did end up burning out. And I tried to get back into ministry a few times, but never was able. And so um god just had a different direction but my burnout changed my outlook on life because i was no longer able to meet those expectations that i had of what a a real pastor or a minister could be i couldn't keep up to the pace anymore um 
emotional stuff bothered me, whereas before it didn't. And so I, I was really forced to, to change. And as we get into the church split stuff, you're going to see that at the beginning of our church conflict, I was on one side, which was more of the fundamental side. But my, my viewpoints changed. And a lot of that changed because of the results of my own self-reflection after, after my burnout. I want to comment on the ministry burnout thing. That is a real thing that many people don't realize pastors go through. I, I admire a lot of pastors because they'll stick with it. But I, I've talked to a lot of pastors behind closed doors. A lot of them stick with it because they don't know anything else. Um, and so they feel kind of between a rock and a hard place. Uh, if they leave, they feel like the church might collapse. If they, um, if they leave, they don't know anything else, but the ministry burnout is a real thing. And a lot of it's because of weird expectations, even on pastors, um, that pastors are expected to basically sacrifice anything and everything for the ministry, at least in my experience. And it, it turns into you basically chasing your tail all the time, making, you know, poverty level money a lot of times while sinking your entire life into this ministry and like you love the ministry part but also because of the expectations the emotional pulls and the political games being played a lot of things behind closed doors it just wears you down i, I mean i definitely got to the point at the end of my tenure uh, at the church i was uh the lead pastor at and was like man, I'm, I'm tired of the games. <laughs> I just, mm -hmm. I'm here to minister Jesus Christ and disciple people. That's, that's my heart. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And instead I have to keep playing uh, game of Thrones when it said it's like game of pews, you know, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. or game of pulpits, if you will. And I know it, it, it got old, so I understand what you mean. Um, and I, I've talked to different ministers and all of them have different experiences. And then I talked to pastors like mine who have had a pretty good experience their entire time. And I, I'm jealous, <laughs> but anyway, keep going, Barry. I did not mean to interrupt, but I was just like, man, no. that really, it's just like, I'm like, I get that. I, I, I was in ministry for like pastoral ministry for about 10 years altogether. And it's just a lot. And, uh, now I'm an elder at a church and, uh, I do this and a lot of discipleship and it's like, I'm constantly doing ministry, but it's weird because now that I'm an elder and certain things have shifted then no longer I have certain things lording over me that they could before. Cause now I I'm like self, um, self-sustaining, right. I have a good job and things. So now it's like, you don't get to Lord things over me anymore. I can just minister. And it's been oddly freeing, even though it makes me busier, I feel better if that yeah. makes sense. So anyway. Yeah. I don't like taking money for anything anymore because if I don't take money, then, then, you just have to take me for what I am, whether I teach someone a guitar lesson or if I or if I preach in my church, are they like, just don't pay me because then the expectations start start to really skyrocket. And I know I know pastors have to deal with that. And 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 if God ever called me back, like I have to deal with that. But at this point in my life, like I, I know. Yeah, you know it, too. You can you can feel free serving as an elder in your church without thinking, well, they're paying me, so I should back that guy or, or do this. It, it, right. It's, or people will be like, well, I, yeah, like I did, I paid for that entire furnace and you're going to, you know, and I want you to do this. And like, well, that's not what the direction I think we should take. Well, I believe in it. Take my, and like, it turns into that. And like, same thing with me, whenever I preach at my church and stuff now, I just say, don't pay me. Like, I'm like, don't pay me. I don't want a check. I don't want it. I just want to minister the word of God at this point. Um, I, and I have my own, 
I, I have my own tent making, so to speak. So we're good. Yeah. So yeah, before we get into the conflict, I said I, I wanted to give four ways or three ways my viewpoints change during my burnout. Um, I already said the first one. I couldn't live up to my own moral standards anymore. I couldn't have made it in an independent fundamental Baptist church or a or a young restless reformed church because I actually don't have enough mental and physical energy to do it. And so if there wasn't another way to please God or to enjoy his presence, like I'd be hooped. I really would be. Um, so the second thing I realized, and we'll get more into this, the Bible wasn't clear on nearly as many theological and moral issues as I had claimed for a lot of years. I remember my wife and I making a fool of ourselves when we first moved here. One of the uh, board members of our church is an old earth creationist. And, and we were just blasting him for his beliefs, eh? And just, we, we didn't have any, like, we were just so tunnel visioned on it. And, and then after, I, in my early 30s, as I was reading about it, like, I, just, like, I felt I, I'd been a massive hypocrite in a lot of areas. And that's, that's the third thing that I realized that um, even though I kept my outer spiritual life looking good for many years inside i was just as sinful and often more than the people that i called liberal or carnal or fleshly and so i was able to give a lot of people more grace because god showed me that just because i had a veneer on the outside i was just a whitewashed tomb and these other people were just honest about their spirituality and their sinfulness i kept it hidden just because they were honest about it on the outside didn't make me better than them. So mm. those are the like those are the things that changed that really affected how my wife and I responded to the conflict that came into our church. That makes yeah, well I, that that part resonated with me too because I did the same thing where I was like, these are the narrow views. These are the only ways that the Bible makes clear about. I mean, I cringe because I've heard some of my old sermons. I'm like, oh, why would I say that? Like, it's just so not. Even now, I could do rebuttal videos to my own sermons. Like, I could just tear myself. In fact, actually, that is upcoming. I have a, an episode way back in the day that I, uh, on the church split that I'm going to do a rebuttal to. I'm going to rebut myself oh. because that way everyone knows I show no partiality. <laughs> but it's so true because that is one of those things that I mean, in, in my, I, I've heard so many people like, well, if you, you're not young earth creationist, you, you question the very word of God. But meanwhile, these people haven't even looked deeply enough into the other side and neither did I back in the day. Right. Yeah. I didn't look at, it. I was just like, this is what the Bible says. So as opposed to going, well, how about I actually look into what they think and say and believe, and I might find their arguments compelling and they might be right, or if nothing else, I could go, okay, I see how they're Bible believers still, maybe I shouldn't call them heretics. You know, things like that, it's just, it, it's silly. And then that's where like, even when it comes to the worldliness, like you said, that's when the hypocrisy starts showing more and more when you're like, wait, so that's okay, but this is not. This is starting to feel like there's constantly a contradiction if I carry that line all the way through. And I started realizing that, the, like you said, the Bible is very clear on what sin is. And it is very vague on areas that fundamentalists like to say are, you know, written in stone and they're just, it's just not. So um, anyway, with that being said, I didn't mean to keep interrupting you, but go ahead. No, it's, it's good that you talk, Will, because then I don't just start steamrolling through things. So that, that's good.
But I was gonna when I watched the uh, the the interview with your brother-in-law today, you you were talking clearly that you were a Molinist. And so I was thinking you might do a rebuttal of that sometime sometime soon, given uh, what you I, said. Was it last, last week's episode, episode you oh, came out? Oh, now you're right. Now I'm going to have to do that too. That, that wasn't the one I was going to do, but now I got to do that. Like, well, here's what I think about that now. But uh, yeah, I'm not fully a Molinist anymore. I just still find Molinism a good belief system. Like it's a way better belief system than a lot of other belief systems. So um, I'm just like, mm, I, I have some issues with it now that I didn't have before, which is weird, but it's okay. That's why we grow, right? We grow, we grow, it, we learn. It's all we, good. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, uh, go ahead and keep going. So uh, I'll get into the church, the church split stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time building, building up to it. Um, and then we can talk about some of the main issues. But uh, E-free denomination is often seen as a loosey-goosey denomination. You know, major on the majors, minor on the minors. And we kind of say everybody can go in. You don't really have to believe much. You just kind of join. But the E-free works really, really well in rural areas and small towns because you can't, there's not enough people to have four or five evangelical churches in an area. And so the E-free works really well. And one of the first things I noticed when Janice and I, my wife and I moved up here 20 years ago, um, we, we moved about five hours north of where we grew up. And, and so this was a new area. And I had grown up in a church that was basically all Mennonite culture, all Mennonite background. And we get to our little town by Lloyd Minster, Saskatchewan. And there's all these different backgrounds. There's Pentecostals, Dutch Orthodox, Fundamental Baptists, Anabaptists, Anglicans. Um, in the 70s, there had been a United Church revival that had gone through the prairies. And so there was a chunk of people that had grown up United Church for most of their lives. So it was just, it was a blast for me. Um, one of the board members was smoking a cigarette outside after one of the first Sundays I was there. And like, I, I almost jumped out of my skin. <laughs> But <laughs> that would do it. That would do it. <laughs> Talk about a culture shock. <laughs> yeah. But like it, that was good because right early on, it forced me to be confronted with different evangelical Christian cultures. But anyways, you, you can understand that through the years, those different cultures would often collide in the church. And if you went back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you could see that, um, when I was in my fourth year of Bible school, we had a course on church conflict. And one of the books we read was Firestorm, Preventing and Overcoming Church Conflicts. And most of the books, it compares a church conflict to a forest fire in the different phases. And what I would say was in the last 30, 40 years, there had been little brush fires that had ignited at, at various times. But the situation wasn't right for it to to blow up into a full-out forest fire. So I just wrote a couple things down here. Um, in the early 1990s, in the early 90s, um, a family in the church had a wedding and they had a dance at the wedding. In their culture, there was dances, but that caused a big kerfuffle in the church because a lot of them, like you and I would have been, that that's evil. 
Um, along that same line, there was a pastor who came in for, I think, eight or 10 years. I'm not sure. But he had he was very, very legalistic and fundamental. And so you would have some of the church that really supported him and some that were against it. But again, conflicts happened, but they never, ever blew up. In the early 90s, there was an affair within the church. And that caused a pretty big flare up. People left the church over it and how the church handled it. But as we oh, get into the conflict, oh, okay. an affair between two people in the church and both Ooh. of them stayed in the church till, till the conflict happened. Um, and I'm going to talk about more of that later, but like that that was a con at the time it didn't split the church but it has affected a lot of things through the years um what else i remember one of the one of the congregational meetings where a few people were so riled up about who was going to be the chairman that that afternoon they phoned all the members even non-attending members that they could find to come vote this guy down and they did all show up and they did vote the guy down. And so when you talk about politics and churches, like the, these people, many, many of them are still, many of them are still in our church. A lot of them have, have gone to different churches or left Christianity. Like they're good people. They love Jesus and, and they want to honor him, but you get caught up in all of this stuff and, and it, and it sets up the church because none of these conflicts ever get completely reconciled and resolved. But they and and Pete, you don't mean to um, like brush it under the carpet, but it never, ever gets completely reconciled. And so when you get to the point 20 years later where something really blows up in the church, all of these little hurts, they rise up and people start talking about them again. And I've got three or four more here, but I, I won't bother talking about them because I think you all get the idea. We were a yeah. regular church that had problems. And, and when you look back, some of these are big things. Yeah. No and kidding. so well, my wife's first time at my church, uh, like we moved to Michigan and uh, from college and the first day she was there, we had a split situation like that where there was somebody that was supposed to be voted in, a friend of mine, um, as an associate, and the same thing happened. A bunch of people didn't like it. They called a bunch of people around that afternoon, come to find out, and got it voted down. Well, we weren't privy to all this information, but the pastor was, and the pastor looked at the vote, and he was so upset. He literally just takes the vote, and he throws it off the pulpit, and he goes, we are going to keep voting this until this is done properly. And oh, you're like, Oh man, like he does. But I told my wife, I was like, normally it's a great church. Normally it's not like this. Uh, but <laughs> well, this is crazy. I am so sorry. Um, and then later on, I found out, I realized it wasn't actually that great of a church. But anyway, it was uh, at the time, I, that's what I knew because I was an independent fundamental Baptist fuddy duddy. And, um, you know, those politics are very real. I experienced them as a pastor. I literally, I, I can tell you what, uh, when I first got hired in, there was a, the board was split into three groups of people, whether they knew that or not, I definitely had to figure it out. There's the one group that was loyal to the original pastor and his family. 
and they all wanted the church to go one direction. There was another group that uh, was very old school fundamentalist fuddy-duddy that wanted the church to go another direction. And then there was another group that were with me, which is just, we want to push the gospel forward. But I, all of them were pulling and pulling and pulling. And finally, I'd have one at, one day where I was just like, call the board meeting. And all it was was me lecturing. It was like, first, all right, are we, do we want, do we want milk or do we want meat? Do we want division or do we want to come together? Bottom line is if we're going to keep working this because I knew that they were calling people and working things and I had, I'd already been dealing with the fallout. And I finally just said, if you're going to keep this up and this is the way you're going to be and we're not able to work together, we're going to keep manipulating situations and gossiping and slandering and all that, there's the door. And one of the guys looked at me and was like, are we done here? And I was like, yeah, we are done here. I'm just like, you know, I'm not dealing with it anymore. And uh, oddly enough, people didn't come back which sometimes you need to do that. But anyway, go, I, I'm just over here like, I, I get it. I hate it, and uh, but if sometimes you just need to bring the gavel down on it, you know? But anyway, uh, especially after you've tried to be reasonable. But anyhow, um, so yeah, those are those are some really good points there and uh, good things to make sure people are, uh, this is what, that was funny because I think a lot of people will relate to that. They're gonna be like, oh my goodness, I've seen that. These things are not reconciled, not properly dealt with. Um, they rear their ugly heads later. And yeah, so I, I totally relate with that. So go ahead and keep going, Barry. I, I don't, didn't mean to keep interrupting you, but I'm just like, yeah. yep, I got to say something about it. <laughs> yeah, and really, Will, and everybody that's listening, I don't think I have anything new to say. My situation is unique in the sense that it happened in my church and my life. But as I re-listened to a couple of these other episodes of yours today, it's like my life followed the same pattern as Drew's did. And, and I listen to some of these, these church splits that you've had on, and, and it really follows the same thing. And I'm not on here, like I don't have anything unique to say, but what I do have to say is churches are still splitting over these issues. And if we want to have unity in the body of Christ, we have to be diligent and vigilant to to not be arrogant, prideful, and take third degree issues and turn them into second and first. So like what you're describing there, I'm going to describe like about your church board. I'm going to describe in about five minutes that it's exactly the way that our church board was like there. It's not new. So anyways, six or seven years ago, Will, is when one of these brush fires blew up and ignited everything in our church and started the path to the church split. Um, we had a deacon board of, of four men and uh, two of them, um, you said earlier today, we weren't gonna say names. So for the most part, I'm just gonna call them junior and senior. Cause one guy is my age, he's the junior. And uh, one guy is uh, 15 years older. And so he's senior and uh, they, they were kind of the leaders of this four-person elder board. And they had been pushing for years and years to get this, like the E-Free only runs a church board. And so there's many E-Free churches that consider their church board the spiritual elders of their church. And so even though the board is made up of the chairman, the treasurer, the Sunday school superintendent, the head of the trustees, they're still seen to get on that board. You have to be somewhat of a spiritually mature person. And it, it happens in E-free churches and like you could extend it to so many denominations that are similar, like the 
AGC denomination in Canada. Do you have that down in the States too? I'm not familiar with that denomination, um, but that just could be because I'm ignorant of it. Um, and also for the listeners, uh, if you don't know, E-Free is a short for Evangelical Free, kind of like IFB for Independent Fundamental Baptist. It just makes it easier. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, anyway, anyone who was wondering, that's your answer. That's right. Yeah. And, and so... This the more fundamental and ultra conservative part of our con congregation, they've wanted to get an elders board going for years and years. And so junior and senior were at a point about six, seven years ago where we had a deacons board, but it really was the elders board. Our church has this weird thing right from the beginnings in 1950s. They didn't want to use the word elder. And it's just silly, Will. Like, they act as elders, but they call them deacons and like, whatever, whatever. But <laughs> people get so weird they, about they were gaining. <laughs> they, but this deacons board, which I, I'll call an elders board from now on, they were gaining power and each of them had one vote at the board level. So just think of it. If there's 10 board members and you have four on your deacons board, you almost have half the voting power of, of the board. And six to seven years ago, they confronted our pastor about his spiritual life. The, the pastor responded very negatively towards them. And that's what, that's what caused it all to blow up. And it blew up so bad that uh, after like about a year of having meetings, I bet you every two weeks our board had a meeting. And there just was no forward progress. So we brought in a transitional pastor after a year and a half of him being there, there was still no, no forward movement. Like I'm talking, well, zero movement forward, both sides just dug in their heels, didn't admit really that anything was a problem. And so the deacons, they left the church with their families because it became apparent that the transitional pastor had mostly sided with the, the, our pastor and, and the rest of the board. And uh, about a year or so later, we ended up hiring a young, restless and reformed pastor, and he split our church in about eight months. And he started a church across town with the, that splits with the families that had split. left. <laughs> he split faster. Yeah, I'm than convinced I did. <laughs> that he didn't follow. Yeah, he didn't follow nine marks rules like he should have taken four or five years to do what he actually tried to accomplish in like half a year so i i think that his strategy was actually wrong like he he messed up the strategy but either way it's like we're, we're seeing it was a good thing because it wouldn't have been good to drag this on for five or ten years but yeah it and then he started a church across town with the people that with the deacons who had left the church a few years before and i live in a town of 400 people will like 400 people <laughs> and now we have two evangelical churches in town not much to share there not much to share <laughs> very small slice of the pie <laughs> so that's kind of the timeline and like it's really not very exciting because basically like our board had meeting after meeting after meeting, and there was just absolutely no movement. 
And yeah, you need to say something here, Will, because I think I need to change change gears here now. <laughs> getting uh, getting 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 a little too worked up, are we? <laughs> um, no, the young restless and reform thing, I, as you and I were talking about uh, before the show, I think it's actually a very real thing that a lot of churches have experienced. These uh, and for those who might not know, but this might be familiar because I think it's be pre becoming pretty common in the evangelical church. Um, where we're seeing an increase in reform boys uh, running around as new pastors, young young pastors getting new pastorates, and churches splitting left and right. Um, I, I uh, my good friend's pastor actually is um, he's known J John MacArthur by name, and he knows him by name, and the this and my uh, friend's pastor. I can only say, I'll say that just to keep it. I don't want to get him out, put him out there, but has talked about how that's a thing that like happens all the time with those, with those who graduate from MacArthur school, which is of course a reform school, splitting churches left and right, uh, push them to only the reformed pos uh, position. And the, people wonder why people have wondered why we push so hard against Calvinism. Not only do I think it's an error, but it's also because with all the push into the seminaries and the churches of the reformed right now, it's like, you got to push back somehow where it's like you want to make these issues top tier issues to split churches then you have to have a counter you have to have people going whoa whoa no that's not cool we're not okay with this we don't agree there now if someone was just like for example uh, when i was pastoring one of the best people um i've ever worked with in a church ever um i, I can't say his name because it's all positive uh, but his troy was and is one of the best people I know that's ever worked in a church and served in a church as a treasurer and as a deacon and as a friend. And one of the things with Troy is that he was more reformed. Uh, in fact, one day I mentioned something and he's like, no, I think it's this. And I, then it hit me, I was like, oh my goodness, he's reformed. So then we started talking, I'm like, do you think X, Y, and Z, you know, just kind of basically walking through Tulip. He's like, yeah, I think that, I think God chooses us. And I was like, no kidding. That's so weird because I just never picked up on that. You know where I teach, and he's like, "It's cool. That's fine. I find us that we just might disagree on some things." I'm like, "All right, cool." And then so people think I'm only hostile toward Calvinism or Calvinists. I'm like, "I'm not. It's about the heart or the spirit of it." I really am okay with somebody disagreeing with me. I am not okay with you making that the central doctrines by which I have to affirm in order for me to be considered your brand of orthodox or that this church needs to affirm. I don't think a church needs to. I don't think uh, that's uh, it gets silly. You're taking a third party issue, making it primary. Now, granted, I have a lot of problems with Tulip. I have a lot of problems with the Westminster. I have a lot of problems with these things. Anyone who watches the show know that knows this, but I'm okay with people disagreeing. But these young restless reform pastors, it's hundreds of churches are being split left and right because of them. And what people don't realize too, if and you, you and I talked about this a little bit, fundamentalism, and the reformed are actually very close in their mindset. I mean, there is just all my a lot of my fundamentalist friends from Bible college, from uh, pastors and stuff who left fundamentalism, jumped over to the reformed, and it's because they also have very similar wooden approaches to scripture. They both are, um, they both have pride themselves in being able to say, "Hey, we're kind of an exclusive club." You know, Calvinism, we're the chosen ones, and fundamentalists, we're the only ones who take our our faith seriously. They both kind of have a lot of similar things, and an intense tribalism comes from those groups that we're right, everyone else is wrong, and 
people don't realize that, but I'm like, I don't think many realize that that's what they do. Uh, they just take a wooden approach, sola scriptura. They don't really look at the historical context of what it's trying to get at. So it's a very wooden, wooden approach. And it's what fundamentalists do that all those things. It's really funny how they're so similar and people don't get it. And I think the reason why that fundamentalists often when they jump ship become reformed and I could just be doing too much of a like freshman year psyche evaluation here. But, uh, but I think the other reason why is because of how conservative the reformed are and how boisterous they are on those things. That fundamentalists are like, yeah, I agree with that. So they leave the legalism of the fundamentalism, but then they still keep the tribalism of the reformed. And therefore it allows a, a kind of, it becomes a one big circle of, one big vicious circle, there we go. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that your story is not unique in that sense, but it is unique because it's your own. But also it just goes to show how common it is because you even said it. Yeah. I didn't encourage you to say it. You said it in email and in text that my church is just one of hundreds of this young, restless, reformed person that got split down the middle. So I find that to be it's sad, too, because we should be united as a body. And even though we might have problems with each other's beliefs, we should not hate each other for it. We should not split churches. It's like, why would we split ministry, resources, buildings, things like that? Why would we do that? Like, does that honor God? I don't think it does. So, um, I mean, I disagree with plenty of things, plenty of people at my church, I should say, and I'm an elder and I agree, with disagree with plenty of people at my church, but I love them. And I don't want to just storm it off in a huff because somebody disagreed with me and try to get somebody kicked out of a position or anything, you know? So anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm monologuing, but it's just, it's sad to me um, that we treat the church more like a business half the time or uh, um, a country club that we want to have control over than a body that represents our Lord and Savior. So anyway, any comments on that, Barry? Sorry, that was a long monologue. No, <laughs> you asked that, me to that talk, good. I you, did it. <laughs> you got me to calm down and the... I. We wanted to talk about two main issues that that had to do with the conflict, and and the second one is this young, restless, reformed, and Calvinism that you just so eloquently talked about. And the reason it was my second issue is because this Calvinist pastor came in after most of the conflict had kind of burned out, and then got it going again. And we'll talk about the fundamentalism or the works-based Christianity that that was what started it. So let's just keep trucking on Calvinism. So I didn't even know. Like, I went to Bible school. I went in ministry. I, I, I've traveled a bit in ministry. And I, I had never, I had no idea what Calvinism was till about five years ago when it started being a thing in our church. And I'm like, I better, I better learn, learn what it is and, and stuff. And, and so I did. And I had a little bit of a knowledge of what was going on in the States, mostly in the States with these young, restless, reformed pastors. But I didn't find out until afterwards about how rampant the problem was. But I had asked Pastor Kurt when he was, when he was candidating, I asked him outright. I said, I have heard that young, restless, reformed pastors are splitting churches and not being honest about they, what they want to do. I said, are you going to do this? And oh. what you what I think what you'll find out is that Mark Devers and Nine Marks and Al Moeller, which Pastor Kurt graduated from Southern Seminary just two years ago, 
they they're masters in politics and they'll give you a non-answer but make it seem like it's an answer and what it was he said barry don't just group me in with all the young restless and reformed you know my character you know how my wife have loved the church since we started candidating you 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 know what we would do and then he splits the church in eight months and so i did some research after and are are you familiar with the calvinism advisory committee of the sbc i am not familiar with that so i'm going to teach all of you something in 2013 this calvinist problem was so big in the southern baptist convention it, it was causing such division specifically because of young Calvinist pastors not telling churches what they intended to do and then wrecking and splitting them. It was so bad that they formed a Calvinism advisory council. And all the big names were on it. Danny Aiken, David Allen, who is a Arminian, Askell, Mark Devers, Johnny Hunt, Paige Patterson, Al Moeller. All of them were on this, and their job was to talk together and present to the SBC how they were going to solve this problem of Calvinists and non-Calvinists getting along in the SBC. So in 2013, they, they uh, gave a report, a concluding report. It's a little bit hard to find online, but I've got it. It's called the Truth, Trust, and Testimony in a Time of... Oh, I wrote this wrong. In a time of turmoil, I think is what it's called. And it's about a 30-page document where they affirm that Calvinists and Arminians, Arminians both fit in the SBC. They both are orthodox. They both meet the, the doctrines and standards of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then right at the end of it, they, there's only like one or two points of action. And one of those points of action is that the pastors need to be honest with their churches and quit deceiving them when they come in. That was the main complaint of the non-Calvinist churches. And so all the members of this advisory committee agreed to that. That's 2013. And so wow. in 2021, on, on the teaching of nine marks, which um, we I, I don't know if your readers know about it, but just look it up. It's a church model that Mark Devers has been promoting for quite a few years, and a lot of the young restless reform guys follow it. And but and and then Al Mohler Seminary, Southern Seminary, our pastor comes out of that, and he does exactly the same thing to us. That was the complaint eight years before. And when we confront him on it, he says, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and that's what was so angering to me is that you split our church and we were just like, we were gullible. We, we had called a Calvinist pastor because we wanted to kind of prove to ourselves as a church that we weren't liberal. So even though all these conservatives had left us because we were liberal and didn't want to follow God and didn't want to obey him. We're like, we do care about the Bible. And then it's like we got shot in the foot. 
we shot ourselves in the foot when we brought in this guy. And, and so that is one of the things that I really wanted to say on this show is like, it's not gossip. It's not, it's not even um, slandering my pastor because he's a product of a certain ideology. And that ideology had been confronted eight years before and Devers and Moeller had given their word that they weren't going to do this. And see, and that they did right it anyway. There. Yep. And that right there, man, I mean, I can't, I, I've seen that too, that like it, the political responses, you know, the whole, like that was a non-answer. Um, but the, the whole thing here, man, it's like, then you're right. It's a product of an ideology because I mean, we call them all, uh, jokingly, uh, reformed boys or, uh, it's always boys with an I, right? So it's boys. Uh, but then, uh, or, or it's the, um, the heresy hunters where it's like anyone who disagrees with my reform points, uh, I'm a heresy hunter, like us generally speaking, what you run into in those, the, those departments. And, um, especially when you're like, well, we are conservative, so we can, we'll, we'll bring on a reform pastor. It's okay. He's conservative. And then just like you said, it shoots you in the foot. If you makes people feel betrayed because what you said about yourself isn't true. Meanwhile, my church split when I, when I was lead pastoring, my first one was over alcohol. They're like, well, you can't drink alcohol. We can't be okay with that. I'm like, it's in my doctrinal statement. You guys asked me my position. I wrote my position that the it's a sin to be drunk, but not to indulge. And not, it's a sin to uh, be drunk and not to overindulge, and that it's okay to imbibe. And I said that, and the um, the uh, church I literally was told by a board member to quote. Well, I didn't read it. I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the deceit, the deceit is a real thing. Um, I, I, I empathize with that. I've definitely seen that. I have felt deceived by church leaders before who said one thing and did another. So, yeah. Anyway, um, keep keep going on, Barry. I, I don't mean to keep continually interrupting you, but there's so many things you're saying. I'm like, ah, I, yes, I relate to that on a on a spiritual level. Yeah. Um. This will take a minute or two, but I'm going to read a little bit out of the Nine Marks book. That's Mark Devers and, and his model for church leadership. And, and so read this. This is him talking. And, and he's giving tips on young past to young pastors on how to start implementing the Nine Marks system in churches, which is extremely Calvinistic, extremely Calvinistic. He says this. I had thought of writing a book for pastors called How to Get Fired and Fast. I could sum up the basic idea of this unwritten book in one sentence of Pauline proportions. A pastor could go into a church members meeting questioning the salvation of some of the church members, refusing to baptize children, advocating a priority of congregational singing over performed music, asking to remove the Christian and national flags and to stop any kind of altar calls, replacing committees, even the nominating committee, with elders, ignoring the secular rotation of Mother's Day, Father's Day, Labor Day, Halloween, Veterans Day, New Year's Day, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, the local high school graduation, and the 4th of July, begin practicing church discipline, remove women from elder-like positions in the church, and stating that he had theological opposition to multiple services on Sunday morning. That's quite a sentence. 
Such a pastor might not get much farther than his next member's meeting. While I could write such a book, I think that first I should take a more constructive approach. I fear that some may read this book and immediately go into their churches impatient for radical change. But with a little wisdom, patience, prayer, careful instruction, and love, we might be surprised how far we can get with our churches. The story of the persistent tortoise and the hurrying hare becomes a parable for pastors. So basically what he says is don't tell your church what you're planning to do. Yikes. And two sentences yeah, later, yeah, he oh, says, this very, these are complete deception, right? It's complete deception. Like, hey, I could say this, but don't do that instead. And I, I, I'm actually going to make a projection that the book actually talks about as well. Like, oh, like, how about because I've heard about the book, gain their trust slowly lead them this way preach on these topics get people moving like it's very it's very manipulative it is very deceitful so yeah what go ahead continue yeah and and like he even says it if you said these things this book would be called how to get fired and fast and i like two sentences after this he talks about exactly what you said he said be truthful and be trustworthy and all these things but but with fundamental Baptist and, and Calvinists, and I'm sure other areas, it seems that we have a moral hierarchy. And anything that has to do with doctrine and preaching exegetically and things like that, that's a moral morality that's up here. And anything else is subservient. So you can be deceitful, you can gossip, you can... Um, spiritually abused as long as we've got the proper preaching of scripture up here and i couldn't even i couldn't believe that mark devers would say what i just read and then two sentence late sentences later tell them to be truthful but mm -hmm. in his when he explains what being truthful means it is truthfully exegeting god's word it's not actually being truthful to the church on the direction you want to take them Right. Well, that's and so, a big Oh, sorry. I, by the way, I think there's a lag in our audio because I've definitely noticed that as we've been talking. Uh, so I think that's why there's a bit of a delay when I cut in. It takes a second. So anyone who's listening, we, we're working from miles away from each other. So bear with us. Uh, we're getting through it. But uh, that that's one of the things where, like, when you're saying there, where they're like straight up just telling you don't do it. I remember when I got uh, hired in as a pastor. I was told, hey, you know what? First year, take it real easy. Don't do it. Don't don't rock the boat. Gain their trust. And then, you know, second year, start moving. And I was told, like, to have a five-year plan to get them to where I wanted them. And I was like, and I even remember then, I'm like, how about I just do what I think is just right? How about I just, we just, we operate, we go forward, we just plow through, we preach and teach and we do things and we just do what's right. And we'll just move, move forward. And then if something needs adjustment, we'll just talk about it when it needs it. I don't, why does it need to be a five-year XYZ plan to get the church manipulated to the point where I quote unquote want them? And this it makes it also very me focused as opposed to God focused. And it means that I'm not trusting the spirit and the word to work. And also feels like instead I'm trying to push up an agenda as opposed to minister to the people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. Um they they talk about how like when I when I questioned the the pastor when he was candidating, he said, 
this is, he said some things that he'd like to do, but he said, I won't do anything without the, the church board's approval. But what it came down to is that in the end, he would only be submissive to the church board if he defined them as being biblical. And what he defined as being biblical was his viewpoints. And so there was no need. He, he actually, at the end, right before he resigned, he basically had to admit. They, they cornered him. He had to give an answer. And he still didn't. And the, one of the few board members that really wanted to support him had asked him straight out, will you submit to this church board? And they... They just went around in circles for about five, 10 minutes. And at the end of it, that church board member said, by the way you've answered those questions, I'm going to take the answer as no. Um, and when we move into this fundamentalism thing and talk about junior and senior, it's exactly the same thing, Will. What I noticed was there's only submission if you agree with the people who are above you. And that's actually not the definition of submission. That just means that you're going along with people that you like hanging out with. To be submissive to something, that there's a sense that you don't get your own way. You are, you're, you're actually giving up your will for, for the will of those above you. And so basically, not submissive at all. But then I'll say one more thing about this young, restless, reformed, and then then let's move on to the fundamentalism stuff. So we noticed very quickly that our pastor would always say, I'm just preaching the plain reading of scripture. I'm just plain teaching scripture. And he could get away with that with most people because if they didn't have more biblical knowledge than the pastor did, he could just talk circles around them and convince them that he was just preaching scripture. But there is actually a handful of people in our church who have gone to Bible school and who were pastors previously, and some had even gone to seminary. And so there's a few of us. We could, we could quite easily show him that in some passages, you could definitely take it two ways or three ways. You didn't have to take it the Calvinist way. And then he would back off and say, well, I'm justified in taking it and teaching it my way because that is a possible interpretation. But then we'd say, well, could you be honest with the church and tell them that there is numerous ways to take it, but for this reason and that reason, you prefer this interpretation? No, he, he wouldn't do that. And so that's the second level. First level... I'm just plainly teaching scripture. That's like Kent Hovind in Genesis 1. I'm just plainly reading Genesis 1 and everybody would come to the conclusion that young earth, like, but then when you'd corner him, you'd get to the second level where he'd say, well, I'm justified in taking it at least the way that I'm teaching it. And then every now and then you could actually corner him if you knew your Bible well and show him that he was wrong. And there's only three times where I got him in this spot. And I, I should have written them down, but it, one of them was about communion and, and, and baptism. Because Nine Marks has a very specific way that they view communion and baptism. And when, I, when we got to that point, we reached the third level where he said, 
when I stand before God, he is going to want to know if I preached my convictions. I, I can't be in fear or, or shrinking back. He's going to ask me if I, if I lived up to my convictions. And so I have to preach this viewpoint. But remember, if you didn't corner him there, he would have told you that he was just preaching the plain meaning of scripture. And you have to back him there. And of course, what he's saying there is so easily refutable in the sense that it doesn't matter if you're preaching your convictions, if your convictions are wrong. Right, exactly. God, is God going to be is God going to be happy that you preached a lie just because you were convinced of it? it? We would be much better off just saying, I don't know. But of course, with the young restless reform in Calvinism, you're, you're committed to the whole system and the proof text of the system. And I just that was another very deceitful thing, because I, I, I could get into his resignation letter that he handed out to the whole church instead of the board. And he accused the board of keeping him from preaching the clear words of scripture. And of course, that wasn't true, but the board couldn't defend themselves and he just wasn't being honest. And so that's one I of those. Noticed, I've heard that a lot, right? Where it's like, well, I'm just pretty, I, I hear this I, fundamentalists will say, thing, well, I'm just reading it for what it says. And uh, people claim that all the time. In fact, uh, so I, I'm writing a book on the atonement mainly because I was a nobody. And then I did a series at church on the atonement. And then suddenly I got put on the map and called a heretic by James White and others uh, who are old, restless and reformed. <laughs> but uh, the, um, and so I'm writing a book on it and I, I wrote in one part, I was like, this scripture is clear that blah, blah, blah. And then uh, my friend, Jordan, who is helping me, who's like going through it just like proofreading, he was like, remove that. That's arrogant. And when you say it's clear, it's clear to you. It's not clear to everyone else. And I was like, oh, Good point, because it, that that concept, which is, well, I'm just saying what it says, bro. It's, well, not really. There are different interpretations for what it says. So for what, and a lot of times what I've noticed, one of the biggest errors of Calvinism especially, is reading scripture with a Western mindset, as opposed to an ancient Near Eastern Jewish one or a first century Jewish one. We read it like Westerners because we don't know any better. And so when we read a term like elect, we think chosen unto salvation when that's not what it meant it was more of uh, those who were uh, who were the covenant entered the covenant who were covenant people they were called the elect you could choose to be part of the elect or you could remove yourself from the elect either way these people who are in the covenant which a covenant could be loosely defined as if you then i um if you choose to be part of it congratulations you're elect so uh and then of course the whole point of even romans 9 basically starts off with like hey by the way the elect you elect folk you jews not saved. You're not, not all of you are saved because some of you reject Messiah. And then by the way, these Gentiles who are not elect, they're saved. So even Romans nine, if you read it, you go, actually, mm -hmm. that's not really saying what the Calvinist is trying to say. It says, so uh, when someone just says, well, I'm just reading the plain meaning of scripture. That's just messed up. Also to pass out a letter into a church without talking to the board or to, to, to the leaders of the church is super messed up. I had one person, I was so thankful I intercepted this. There's a situation that went down at the church 
And these people wrote a letter, and I just happened to be at the church where I normally wasn't when I was pastoring. His people walked up, and I was like, oh, hey. They're like, oh, yeah, here, this is our resignation letter. I was like, really? You're done after everything? Because, I mean, I would... I was by this family side through some serious stuff, had their back on some serious stuff, but they disagreed with one little thing uh, that I did on a, in a, my personal life. They did it like it was really silly. Um, and then they even said, I, but in their letter, like, Will lied. Be, uh, we asked him this, he said this, and then we asked him this, he said that. I'm like, yeah, because you asked me one question one day, I answered you honestly. You asked me a, a more, like, it was a, a passing comment. You asked me more details about it later, and I gave you more details. Now you're saying I changed my story. I never did. I literally just told you what the information I thought you were looking for at the time. Um, but anyway, they had this entire letter written up that they were going to leave on the bulletin board and in the office uh, for the church uh, and then leave one for me, like, in my desk. I was like, uh-uh. No, like, this is for the congregation. This is for you. And these are ones for all the people on the board. And I was like, <laughs> trash. <laughs> like, I just, I was like, no, we're not doing this. Um, that's super shady. It's, it's very manipulative because what it does is it, it gets – it doesn't allow the leadership of the church, and that's part of the point of it. That's why people do that, is they don't want the leadership of the church to filter it with the facts and reasons and the, and the rest of the context. These people want to get ahead of it because what they're about to do is immoral, or they uh, know it could at least be perceived as immoral, so they want to get ahead of the game. It's a manipulative political game, and I hate that crap with a burning passion. All right, end rant. All right, sorry, Barry, that just... Mm, got me going, but yes. <laughs> don't don't end that rant, Will, because I I I could get in exactly what you said. I could get into more stuff that that happened. And f firstly, um, I was pretty impressed in the first couple weeks of Pastor Kurt's preaching that it, it he he was exegetical. He was he he was focused on the meaning of Scripture. But I noticed right from the start that he didn't talk about the background and the context of uh, of the passages, and I was surprised because the the reform guys always are looked at as the ones who really care about scripture and 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 all that, and and so I was surprised. But you can see how that leads to proof texts for for Calvinism because he wasn't talking at all about the original readers or anything. In fact, um, I wrote that uh, in in one of his sermons, at the, at the end of Colossians 1, he actually said, what did he say? Our text this morning is aimed at people who have never been truly converted. I was like, no, it's not. It's aimed, it, he's writing to the Colossian church as a whole. That's what the, the whole book is. And it, it's that passage where he says, you were once alienated from God, but or uh, now you have been brought close if you continue, right? If you continue in the faith. And, and because it had that if you continue, he just put the Calvinist lenses on. And it's like, even if people who aren't truly converted should read it and learn something from it, it's not written to them at all. But... By not using the background and the context of the original readers, I can see how they can just yeah put Western eyes on and and, and miss that. So I've said that I, I think one of the main issues of the split was this young restless reform pastor, 
and, and I think I've said enough to show that this isn't just my opinion or Will's opinion. Um, if it was a big enough deal that the Southern Baptist Church brought in as big a guns as Askell and, and Patterson and Moeller in, then this was a big deal. And then for them to say that we've got to quit deceiving churches, but yet Mark Devers and, and Al Moeller continue to teach in a way that does cause pastors to deceive churches, I would just say churches don't hire a Calvinist pastor if you don't want to become Calvinist. Don't go through the pain that we did. Don't go through the pain of hundreds of churches. Just be aware of it. It can help your church from splitting. But the second issue, which actually came first in the timeline, was this issue of fundamentalism and ultra-conservatism. Um, I, I talked about how these four deacons, um, they really wanted to push a quite fundamental version of Christianity. And this is hard for me to talk about, Will, because Junior's family and our family, kids the same age, um, for about 10 years, one of our best friends. And Senior, in, in this discussion, was my best friend for 15 years. Like, I told, I told everybody, this guy is my best friend. Wow. So this is this cuts deep. Yeah. And and to be honest, it cuts deep to them as well, Will, right? And and so it's not just it's not just one way, but it, it does illustrate. Um, I wrote a few notes on the fallout and the consequences of a church split. I, I don't know if we need to head there or not, but like relationships that are broken with people that you see every single week that you play hockey with that your kids go to school together um, my kids uh, we live right close to our public school and so our kids walked home with their kids and were hanging out at lunch hours after this whole split happened and it was awkward and it was hard um, pastor Kurt who split our church and, and started new and I pass his house three or four times every single day he lives half a block from me and for the first couple of months, they were having church in his house, in his basement, which meant that every Sunday morning I would drive by and I had to wave to my old friends while they walked into their church and I was on their way to mine. Like church conflict is hard and, and it's tough. And those things, need you need to consider those things before a person says, I am actually believe in this doctrine so much that I'll go up in flames for it. Yeah, that is, that does cut deep. I lost, there's one, one person who left. He's like, yeah, I can't, well, kind of, you're a good guy. I kind of look at you like my own son. And we had a really close relationship and he was the catalyst of the first split. And it was just like, I just remember being so blindsided by it all. He's the one who said he never read it, read my statement. And I was like, Huh? <laughs> um, it's sad, man. You're right. It does. It, it creates, uh, it's very hard on kids and everyone, the whole community, which is why we shouldn't do it. We should try to be, be united with one another and love one another despite our differences. Like a little broken family. Every fa Everyone knows the awkward Thanksgivings, <laughs> but you, but well, yeah. wait, well, you know, it's like you're sitting at a dinner table filled with people and you're, hey, we're different, but we're a family. And we're going to love each other despite that. And I'll disagree with you, but I'm going to love you through it. And uh, it's sad. It's sad. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's all I really have to say there.
Yeah, um, we have an old order Mennonite church in our community as well. Of all you guys watching, you're going to think we're a messed up community, but this old order Mennonite community, they excommunicate people all the time, right? They, they excommunicate people more than Calvinists do. And, uh, but it's very much a culture as well. So everybody who's excommunicated is a member of your family or is a relative of somebody. And, and you're right, they're, they're over at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And in, in scripture, you're not allowed to eat at the same table as someone who's being thrown out of the church. There's the one verse that says that. And so to meet that requirement of scripture, they, at their family gatherings, they set up two tables side by side and then cover them with one tablecloth. So from the outside, you can't see. This is not a word of a lie, Will. I, I live side by side with these people. But that's how they honor, they honor scripture with this excommunication, but they don't offend each other because in reality, they know that they shouldn't treat each other like that. Wow. Talk about a fighting a loophole. <laughs> That's wild. I, I, I'm literally without words right now, but I'm not surprised at the same time. And I should be, but I'm just like, how do you, how do you get to that level of behavior? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and remember that that is my, that is my heritage if you go back just a couple generations, right? That's the same Anabaptist heritage. So anyways, back to this conservatism in our church. These deacons, especially junior and senior, they, they, wanted, they wanted a conservative church. They wanted a, a young earth. They wanted dispensationalism. They, they, they wanted patriarchy, but they would have called it complementarianism. They wanted all these things. And, and so when the conflict blew up, um, I had said earlier that they had about four votes of about 10 on the board, and sometimes maybe it was just nine or eight. So I think they saw that they were at a point where they could actually gain control in the church. And, and that's why they pushed it so hard. And I want to be very clear. They don't, they don't have junior and senior. They, they were my, some of my best friends. They weren't actually trying to destroy the church. They believe in their hearts that this is the only way we can honor God. And that's why I believe that to get unity in our churches, we have to deal with the, the levels of doctrine and put doctrines in the right place. Because um, a, according to Al Mohler's definition, second level doctrines are doctrines that if someone else holds them, you will want to treat them with love and respect, but inevitably conflict is going to rise so much so that you won't be able to fellowship together. So he says, if you hold wrong doctrines, you will even want to get along with people, but you just can't. And so the issue is not to try harder to love people. The issue is getting the doctrinal levels in the right spot so that you can treat people naturally. And the, these guys in our church, they were so convinced of the importance of these different doctrines that they, they just could not treat anybody with respect because of where, where they held these doctrines. And, uh, 
during the at the beginning of the conflict, a bunch of us families actually supported the deacons. The, the pastor's spiritual life at the time, it was right that he be rebuked. Like he needed some correction, he needed some help. That was good. But as 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 the months wore out, we started to see that there was more being done behind closed doors than than what we knew, and that there was a lot of anger and resentment and gossip and hypocrisy with the deacons. And this is exactly what they were accusing other sides of. And so it started being like, I remember at the beginning of the conflict, I, I told people, I'm glad this conflict has happened because you are going to see that senior, even though he's a intense guy, even though he's stubborn, you're going to see that he is biblical and that he is godly as we walk through this. And that even if someone in the church has the gift of discernment and is a little caustic, they can still be submissive to the word of God and we need to follow them. That's kind of where I was with my best friend. But as, as we got going, I realized, no, it wasn't that way. And so the deacons ended up losing a lot of support simply because of their conduct. Their conduct didn't match what they said. And as I've listened to interviews and listened about the fundamentalist teachers and preachers, that's exactly what their lives were like too. They didn't practice what they preached and there was a lot more resentment and power issues and all these things going on. So it was just another example of legalism and performance doesn't actually get you a better church. It just forces people into hypocrisy and, and, uh, looking good on the outside when the inside is, is, is bad. Absolutely. I, um, the young, Jesse, even now, like I'm just, I I was getting flashbacks. Uh, when I was here to say that, I was thinking about some of the other things I dealt with were the things behind closed doors. Um, one person wanted to get some person removed from their position, uh, at the church and brought up that this person doesn't tithe. So like, well, if someone has that position, shouldn't they tithe? And I just remember sitting there in the meeting, and I was shocked that that brought, brought up, like, we're bringing up people's financial support as power to levy against them. And what they don't know is I've talked to that family. They're always a month or two behind their mortgage. They can't afford to tithe. tithe. In fact, we should probably be giving them money as a community to help them. And I just remember that is actually, that was a breaking moment for me and my ministry. I, I I actually sat there and I was like, what did you say? And then what it was, this person wanted that position back for themselves because they used to be in that position. And then they wanted that person removed. Um, and so I just looked at it, I was like, no, I, if this is the way we're going to be, you're going to find a new pastor. And I, I said a few other words and I walked out and then I knew that I did the right thing when that guy, Troy, I mentioned, he walked out too. And then this other older guy who was loyal to that family, who said the same, like who was loyal to that family, who was making this power play, this old, old guy uh, goes, and he's actually passed away uh, since. And he just goes, I'm with Pastor Will on this. And he gets up and he's just sh- in his old man way, shuffles himself out the door. And it just, it, 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 broke my heart, but I just also was like, and then when all this stuff went down, they're like, oh, that family, they've been here. They've been faithful to us. And I'm like, I only, and I told them, I was like, you're putting me in a really tough spot to either feel like I'm going to gossip them about them to tell you the truth of what really happened or to sit there and keep my mouth shut and just be the martyr as everyone says I'm in the wrong here. 
But what you don't know is that, and I actually eventually started telling people, I was like, look, I can't keep this a secret. I was trying not to make this public, but more and more, this is being brought up, and I'm not letting this with the church anymore. This person was using people's tithing information to weaponize against them in the church as a political move. That is filthy. And that's stuff that happens behind closed mm -hmm. doors. And people don't realize that, that these people that they might hold up to this level can morally fail still. And we're, we're imperfect creatures is what we are. But anyway, I did not mean to uh, go on another tangent, but the stuff is like, you're just making me, re you're making me relive stuff, Barry. I'm going to need to see a therapist after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, when we moved to this church and I started pastoring it initially, um, we were warned away. We're told this church goes through pastors and, and all this sort of stuff. And we went anyways. And like, this church has loved me. I have failed this church multiple times in my burnouts. They counted on me to be their pastor and I, I failed. And yet I'm still in this church and I'm the main tech guy. I'm one of the main worship leaders. I keep being asked to be on the board, but my, my mental capacity can't, can't do it. And it was like, that doesn't sound like a church that eats pastors. And even the pastor that was in the middle of this conflict, he, he, he pulled his membership for a while and he's come back and uh, I don't agree with him on everything, but both of us are former pastors who left under less than ideal circumstances and the church still loves us. And so that doesn't sound like to me, like a church that eats pastors. And then a couple of years ago, I realized that um, the closest city to us is about 30,000 people maybe. And, Every single evangelical church that is of a decent size, so say like 200 people or more, every single one of the six or seven evangelical churches in that city has either split or had a mass exodus since we moved to this area 20 years ago. As I said, that doesn't sound like it's our church alone that eats pastors or, or that has problems. Every church has the potential for this. Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. They do. You have to understand we are sinners. And once our pride, our pride and our, once you get your agenda and your pride in the way, anything can happen. That's what happened with Absalom. Absalom did the same thing with David. He, he, mm -hmm. he forgot his place. He put his agenda first and it split and tore kingdom in half. Um, I read a great book that really helped me, uh, after our, my first split. And the, the irony here is not lost on me. Uh, the person who gave it to me was is called the book's called Beyond Betrayal. By the way, it's a really good book. Uh, one of the few like books I felt like spiritually uplifted me, but probably because I was in a rough time and it hit me where I needed it. Um, but oddly enough, the guy who gave it to me was the guy who caused the second split. So it, the the irony of the book Beyond Betrayal being given to me by this guy and then him being uh, it's not lost on me. It is it is really funny. Um, but yeah, anyway, but. Um, I don't know if uh, I was, uh, we should probably wind down a little bit now, uh, and, but uh, was there a few other things that you wanted to say regarding this stuff? Um, I, I mean, it's okay. We can hit the important stuff too on the way. Uh, I know you're like me. Uh, for those of you who are listening or watching, Barry came in with like nine nine pages, which is which is Will Hess energy, by the way. I Every episode we do, I think I have nine to 10 pages of notes and I only get to like you know, some of them sometimes. So uh, that's what happened to the last one when I went on Faith Unaltered for the Atonement. Did not get to all my notes at all. Not even halfway, not even close. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
Sorry, uh, Barry. So, what, what what are some comments you have here as we, we we as we go to the inevitable question that always comes to the end of my interviews with people? Yeah. Let let me let me say a few things really quick to wrap up the fundamentalism part of the conflict. I'll say it real quick. So, um, with Junior, he was teaching young Earth creationism, and he found it very offensive that I didn't that we didn't require it. And so he brought me Kevin DeYoung's book on inerrancy and told me to read it and then tell me after if I could truly bo bo believe in old earth or, or not young earth. And because I'd done my research, I knew it was coming down the pipe already. Like it, like Kevin DeYoung was using Geisler, Sproul, J. Gresham Meacham, J.I. Packard, um, Charles Hodge. And every single one of them was an old earth creationist. And like um, Packard, I think it was that he favors evolutionism. And uh, Keller, too, has been very, very open. And, and so I, I went to him after that week and I said, wait, I'm very sorry, but it's actually you who is shooting yourself in the foot by by defending this radical young young earth. Right. And I said, I don't want to get into a fight about it, but like you are going around trying to get people in the church to study the Bible with you. But what you really mean is let me show you why everybody's wrong. That's that's what you really mean. You're not really wanting to study the Bible. And I said, but you need to study the Bible and you're not willing to do it on these issues. And it had zero effect on, on him at all. Zero effect. And so that is, that is an example where fundamentalism becomes hypocrisy when you're not open, when, you, when you've defined your Christianity by a view instead of defining it by going to Scripture and studying it. It looks Absolutely. like you want to say something. Oh, I'm just, I, I just I connect with that again. It's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, because I... I've had that happen too, where people are like, nope, this is, I wanted to teach why everyone else is wrong. And that's why it's like even asking your pastor, hey, there's other views of this. This is why I subscribe to it. And no one wants to even do that. I mean, it, if anyone watches the channel, I have an um, our unapologetic class and I definitely teach my perspective, but I go, but here's the other perspectives. And it's okay if you disagree with me. And, you know, and that makes, and that can at least make people, what I, in my experience, actually makes people more curious to study the Word of God because they heard me give a good presentation on my view, but then they, they heard me mention other views. So they, well, I have it a lot of times after class. So what does that view think? What is that? The, where can I read on that? And I give them resources and I just go, yeah, go ahead and research on it. Let me know what you think. We'll talk about it. And I don't tell them what they have to believe. I'm like, you already know I have problems with that view, but I mean, we could just chat about it. It'll be a good time. Uh, grab coffee. I love that. Uh, having yeah. theological conversations over coffee or a beer is the greatest. That's a spiritual experience right there. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing on fundamentalism is this thing. You brought it up already. I brought it up is, is the playing politics and keeping secrets. And in the middle of this conflict, both sides, but, but both sides kept secrets ready to bring up to use as trump cards in conversations. And, and like how in the, like we're, we're Christians and we shouldn't have any secrets. Like there's no need to have secrets because Jesus has covered all of our sins. We're accepted without having to do anything. And we're called to love each other as brothers and sisters. And, 
and it, it blew me away. But this fundamentalism thing, in my early years with senior, we would talk before board member before board meetings, and he would tell me that, well, Barry, this certain guy over here, he's a carnal Christian, so be very careful about what he says and don't take it too seriously. And then he'd go on, and this guy's a carnal believer, and this guy, I'm not even sure if he's a believer at all. And so if he ever talks about like spiritual advice or what scripture means, I don't take that into account at all. But the thing is, he never, ever told these people that ever. So just think, we're in the middle of a church conflict five years ago. The, the, the conversations are going nowhere. Everybody's crazy frustrated. And he still hasn't been honest with the other people in the room. And they don't know, like, why can't we get through to senior? Why? Like, you'd think we could have some give and take. But it's because senior doesn't even think you're a Christian. And, and he still hasn't been honest. And so, like, the deceitfulness of Christian arrogance and, and legalism is just, I wrote that there's, this is deceit in, in two different ways. That he actually sabotaged any hopes of reconciling in the conflict by, by not being honest and holding back information that was critical to solving the conflict. Because if these people saw that, oh, this guy doesn't think that I'm actually a dedicated believer, well, we better deal with that if we're going to solve this, this conflict. Like, it's so deceitful and it's sabotaging. But then also, it's spiritual elitism because our church had accepted these people as members based on their testimony, their adherence to the doctrinal statement. And we, we have a loose, even in the E3, we have a loose hierarchy of, of superintendents and overseers who, when there's church problems, they come in and they can't make our church do anything, but they can speak into our church. And so you've got junior and senior actually putting themselves over all the leaders of our denomination and saying that we know better than all this structure that we actually agreed to abide by when we became members. That, that elitism can never bring anything good in a church. We've got to get rid of it. Absolutely. It's all self-righteousness and pride. It's all self-righteousness and pride getting in the way. I, I have similar conversations uh, with some family members of mine. Um, and it's funny because I'm like, I know you think deep down you are serving God with everything in you. I love your heart there. But your elitism gets in the way of you and some of your own fa close family members that you should be loving. And yeah, uh, it's I, yeah, it, we got to get rid of it. You got humility goes a long way. It really does. So yeah, to, to land the plane a little bit, I've been thinking so much more about church unity. And I realized a few times before I had the falling out with junior and senior, I had asked them to give up some doctrines of theirs or to compromise on them for the sake of unity. And then I realized afterwards that I had some that I wasn't willing to compromise on. And so I had to ask myself, what what second level doctrines would I hold on to that would split a church? And I started thinking about it this way. If you had a church of five people and all five people said, we're committed 
to church unity, and therefore we only have one second-level doctrine. That's a doctrine that would cause you to disfellowship with someone. And if they all had a different second-level doctrine, they could potentially split that church into five different churches. But each of them would have said, well, I only have one second-level doctrine. And, and so I was so encouraged by Patrick Miller a couple weeks ago when you interviewed him because he says, we have found a way in our church to have unity between publicans or Republicans and Democrats and between those who want to baptize their children and who don't. Because most evangelicals would tell us that that is a pipe dream, but mm -hmm. their church has figured out how to do that. And so my goal is to jettison every second level doctrine that scripture does not require. It doesn't mean Preach. I don't have to have an opinion on it, right? Right, and absolutely. And you guys have been a good part of that. Like, I can have an opinion on women pastors, but am I going to split a church over a woman, woman pastor? Like, those, for a conservative Christian, like, those are hard questions. But I've been trying to ask myself that, and some of these have been tested and some of them haven't. But I am a part of a church now, the ones that are left, where I used to judge a ton of the people. Like, I had more in common with the ones who left with the split as far as like, I still don't drink and I still don't think it's smart to dance with people other than your wife. Like I'm still kind of fundamental in some of my beliefs and the, the ones who are left in our church, they're the ones who socially drink like maybe every night if they had someone over every, every night. And I go to hockey and they're the ones handing out the beers to the non-Christians at the end of, end of the game. And, and, and some of them, they they think it's okay to swear semi regularly, and of course, for a fundamental, that's that's a no no, right? There's <laughs> there's all sorts of things, and it's the ones that I disagree with that are left in the church. <laughs> but God has removed all of this judging from me because He showed me that I couldn't live up to all those standards, and that I'm accepted because of what He did for me. And they're accepted. And actually, some of them I look up to for their faith in God and, and how they receive his grace. I look up to them more, and I see them now as being more spiritual and closer to the Lord than me. And it's just a wonder, it's a wonderful feeling to not walk around knowing why you're better than everybody else in your church. Wow, and, that's such an encouraging statement. It's that's what I statement. that's what I want to come on to, to the church split to talk about in that we're all going to run into things that we think are like life and death for our church hills to die on. And, and the, the sad truth is, is that most of them aren't hills to die on at all. And like the young earth, older thing, I found out that it shouldn't even be on the radar because the most conservative Christian people in the world. It wasn't on their radar at all. And so my, my big encouragement is look at that triage principle, understand it, and then only hold first and seconds level doctrines that the Bible demands. And just like you, like, that's why I love the church split. We could talk about the, the RFP and, and 
and and the stumbles that hap happened there if we wanted. But if we start getting high on ourselves, we can create our own legalism. Like I've I've heard of people like actually there's some in the the YRR movement, the Young Wrestlers Reformed, that actually require you to drink alcohol. If you don't drink alcohol, that you're you're probably that that the the Bible would require you to. Um, right response ministries, look it up sometimes. Will um, oh, I'm I, definitely I doing that later. That's happening. I'm looking that up later. That sounds bananas. <laughs> like um, it, it can be legalism on any side, right? True. And, and absolutely, we we've got to push those second level doctrines out, and and actually, oh, I'm gonna have to stop here. But like together for the gospel, they get together and they say we're better than everybody else because. We're going we're gonna to be together for the gospel. Well, all it took was woke, woke theology and COVID to split together for the gospel. That's, mm. that's all it took in the end. It wasn't even doctrine that got them to split. It was just the response to the world. You, you can go and listen to Mark Devers give that final speech that, that he gave earlier this year. And I'm thinking, like, we are so high on ourselves, and yet we will split for almost any reason so let's let's humble ourselves let's laugh at ourselves and be heretics and all of this <laughs> stuff and, and let's just let's just stay true to scripture and not take it past what what god meant it to be to be taken right and when we get to those difficult spots like i actually had a really good conversation with a co-worker today he's a brother in christ good good man sometimes he watches the show so hello you know who you are um and him and i had a good conversation because he's a he was raised once saved always saved and i've become conditional security but like i also but i hold my conditional security with an open hand like i don't i'm like i see definitely where both sides argue from and i get it um and it was funny because i was telling him i was like yeah but here's what's funny is like I used to, I'd split a church over once saved, always saved back in the day. Like I would fight to like, that was like, that was a top tier doctrine for me. Now that I understand the issue better, I just go, whether they left or were never saved to begin with, or they lost their salvation, either way, they need the gospel. Can we just, can we just focus on that? Like, like you said, I love how you said, like, let's make the, because I, I don't like the triage system that much from Moeller. I've mentioned that before because it's like, well, some of the, who gets to dictate those things? But you know, I, the way you worded that was so, well, let's only, hold and force those things that are held to that explicitly is demanded in scripture. And I love how you said demanded in scripture, not slightly different opinion on how this is interpreted. It is what is demanded of, in scripture. Well, what's demanded is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. However, one interprets how that atonement works doesn't matter. He died for our sins. That's demanded in scripture without, and uh, God being a monotheistic God, that's demanded in scripture, you know? So these things are demanded from us. So let's hold to those that, that which we are, that is demanded for us to hold on. I love the way you worded that. That was so well done. Um, and I might steal that verbiage from here on out from you, Barry. I, I really like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I guess I kind of goes, I mean, the, the whole message of this was united and divided body. Cause that's normally what I ask people at the end, right? Like, oh, well, how, how do you think your view can unite the divided body? Well, that's it. Stop making mountains out of molehills and humble ourselves, right? Yeah. Well, let me explain just a little quickly here. You said how you didn't like Moeller's triage principle. Um, there, there's a lot of different understandings and models of it. 
But I like molars because in his original post on it, he explained that if you find yourself pushing issues up in importance, like taking threes and turning them into twos and twos and turning them into one, he said, there's a danger of becoming ultra conservative. Mm. And if you find yourself pushing the importance of them down, ones to twos and twos to threes, then, then you are in danger of being liberal. And so okay, I think right. the I beauty of, I think I the beauty of it is as, yeah, <laughs> it not the only, yeah, it, it not only helps to understand why you respond to other people a certain way based on where you put them, but it also can help you understand, like, if you have no level three doctrines and no level twos, they're all at level one, that can help you understand why you're always getting into fights with people, right? Mm. And, and so I, 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 I like that. Um, when I was researching Young Earth, I read Ted Cable's... Um, Ted Cable's book on it. You, you got to look it up. And okay. he has a friend with Ken Ham. Um, Controversy of the Ages, that's what it's called. And he's got a friend in, in Answers in Genesis. And he was so frustrated talking with this friend because they just kept on getting stuck. And finally, he asked this friend in Answers in Genesis, what level of doctrine is young earth creationism to you? And that man answered 1.1. And wow. then Ted Cable said it all made it all made sense to him because if that if the, if if answers in Genesis puts it basically at a gospel level, it explains why his friend couldn't really respect Ted all that much. Because even if they both believed in young earth creationism, his friend would still disrespect him because Ted Cable had it as a third level. Right, right. It, for his, it's not even so. Safe. Even though they believe the same thing, he would judge Ted for not holding it high enough, and that's what I think is is that's how I like to explain the triage principle that someone mm. can believe the same thing as you, but if whoever holds it higher is still going to judge you, and so that's, actually, that's another that's a, reason we should push him down. That's a really good uh, way to put that because there's somebody I, I have in mind that. Uh, when he found out that I don't care about the age of the earth issue anymore and he's very passionate about it, he called me after not talking to me for a while and was like, hey, uh, you don't really care about that? And I was like, no, nah, I really don't. I think it's inconsequential, the age of the dirt. <laughs> and, uh, um, and it was interesting because I you actually just kind of put that in perspective where it's like if somebody puts it here, even though if we even held the same view, then, well, he, like you said, he'll still disrespect you because you don't hold it in high enough importance. So... Um, that's a good way to put that. So, um, wow, that, that's actually a little bit of clarity for me. And, uh, I don't, I don't hate that the way you just explained that to me. I actually, okay. I, I could kind of see a proof that will can have his mind changed. I'll have to munch on that for a minute. I was pretty much like, ah, that's subjective. And now you're like, well, let me break it down to you. will and learn you a second. Now I'm like, okay. All right. All right. I don't, I don't hate it. Okay, I just don't like being proven wrong on my own pro program, but that's okay. Uh, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. You might Someone's come back next program and you'll say, Barry, I thought this through and you're actually wrong. You might say that. 
<laughs> I won't say that. I won't say that without you being able to defend yourself. Well, no, actually, but the way you described that, I think that's a good way to put that um, and making sure your third and second level issues, you're not pushing to the top tier and vice versa. So, um, but yeah, anyway, with that being said, Barry, do you have any closing remarks before we go ahead and uh, sign off or is that pretty much the gist or is there anything else you quickly want to throw in there? It's, it's the gist, Will. I, I, okay. I, I don't even understand why people would sit and listen to me for this long. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people find some use in, and find some interest in it as well. But uh, that's what I have to say. Yep. Awesome. Well, Barry, actually, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, and I think plenty of people could have a good time listening to your wonderful Canadian accent talking about real truth things that need to be talked about. I love it. I can't, by the way, I can't talk about accents. I have a really nasally Yankee accent and Brian makes fun of me all the time for mispronouncing words, but whatever, it's fine. Yours at least sounds like you're from somewhere cool. Mine just sounds like it's like, is he, was he educated as a child? I don't. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, with that being said, said um i really appreciate barry coming on let us know what your thoughts are below and if you've been through a church split or you know someone's been through a church split again have them reach out to us we'd love to have those these conversations because these conversations need to happen if these and that is what my experience as a pastor has been through church splits it's like no we need to talk about it we need to address it we need to know the warning signs of it and that's a warning signs not just so we can see it happening in our church and stop it but so we can see it the warning signs in our own life where we get our in our own way. And I definitely have had to keep myself in check a few times, even at my own church where I'm like, ooh, that's a big issue for me. I'm gonna go in. And then I had to think about it for a second and go, nope, that's not a big enough issue for me to make a big fuss over because I'm not gonna split a church. I'm not gonna cause problems and unnecessary hurt. Be the mature Christian and be someone who tries to treat the church with care and not with a sledgehammer all the time um, for the sake. It's not the church of Will's opinions. It's, uh, it's Christ's church whom he died for. So Barry, I really appreciate your insights. You actually brought some things up today I hadn't thought about and you worded some things really well that, uh, that I just, I think uh, a lot of people resonate with. So I appreciate it. Guys, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to The Church Split. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. So take care and God bless. But that's not my whole point. That, that's just a side, a side point. If your mic wasn't muted, you would be, uh, we could hear you really well, Will. Ah, I see that. Uh, <clears throat> continue. <laughs>